0: Hey, everybody, Nicholas Ward here. Welcome to this week's edition of the Dividend Kings Roundtable podcast. This week, our title and our topic is speculation for fun and profit, kind of uh, focusing on a lot of the headlines I'm sure you've seen if you, if you follow the financial news at all uh, over the last week or two. Um, you know, We are going to be talking about speculation uh, you know, in a responsible and prudent way. I do think that's a possible thing to do. Um, I don't think anybody on this call is somebody that uh, owns or is thinking about owning GameStop, for instance, so I don't uh, necessarily know if the Wall Street Bets crowd is going to agree with what we have to say, but I do think that we can speak uh, you know, to this topic to more conservative, uh, prudent, reasonable, and intelligent investors. Uh, on the call, I have Adam Gallus, who is one of the Dividend King's founders, and Stephen Hester, who is uh, a contributor at iREIT. And uh, kind of our in-house uh, options uh, options expert, so his uh, his expertise and knowledge will definitely play a major role in this topic specifically. Uh, so with that in mind, you know I, I am looking forward to this discussion. This is quite interesting. You know, I, I would, while you were planning this uh, call, I did you know let my uh, colleagues know here that I have sort of wasted. Uh, You know, several hours of my life recently just uh, pouring through the Reddit threads on the Wall Street Bets forum recently. Uh, I will speak to that a bit during this call. So, uh, you know, if you guys don't want to sort of uh, get down into the swamp of the Internet, we've got you covered. But uh, before we get to me, let's go to Adam to talk about uh, speculation and what he's seeing in the market today from a high level perspective.
1: Thanks, Nick. So this has truly been a remarkable time. I mean, in 2020, we saw some companies go up 2,700%. That was truly wild for the worst you know worst recession in 75 years but then you know 2021 has really kicked things up a notch we've got stimulus we've got people you know on on uh, Hood, commission free trades now we've got social media with the likes of reddit's and Wall Street bets where we've got professionals uh, coordinating campaigns with retail investors using advanced uh, option strategies to really put the short uh, short squeeze on some big hedge funds and so we're seeing some of the most wild speculative investments uh, basically in the entire history of the stock market. To give you an example of what we're talking about, GameStop up 1,700% in a few weeks. Michael Burry uh, of Big Short fame, he's actually made 1,500%, about a quarter of a billion dollars on GameStop. But he just, even though he's made a killing on that trade, he's told the uh, Business Insider that this is, quote, unnatural, insane, and dangerous. We've got, of course, the red, uh, Wall Street Bets crowd. They've moved on to the likes of AMC, BlackBerry. Now the speculations as uh, what's, they're going to target Nest. So cost shot up 131%. Of course, Elon Musk has sent companies skyrocketing as much as 1,200% on a single tweet as well. And just to give you some context of how crazy And speculative, this has become AMC, the theater chain that is on the verge of bankruptcy due to the pandemic, recently uh, is up, uh, is the market cap is five times higher than it was pre-pandemic. And last night, when Wall Street bets went invite-only, it fell forty percent after hours in a matter of a, a, a few hours. Now, of course, the craziest, most speculative, uh, basically, I think I've ever seen in my entire life has also happened this past week. Now, last year, Hertz, for example, went up almost a thousand percent the week after it declared bankruptcy, basically a st- saying the stock will go to zero, and yet speculators still drove it up almost. Tenfold. Well, on January twenty seventh, twenty seventh, Blockbuster. Yes, the bankrupt Blockbuster, driven to uh, into the ground by uh, Netflix. It is actually still trading. The basically uh, BBL Liquidation Holdings is the holding company for the bankrupt company. Well, it went up seven hundred percent on January twenty seventh pure speculative mania from the Wall Street Bets crowd using hyper leveraged uh, call options. And of course the problem with these is that they can surge uh, several hundred percent and then drop a hundred percent in the next few hours. And so basically, these are the dangers, of course, of uh, people not understanding the risk of what's going on. But at the same time, there is a role, of course, with speculation. It can serve a responsible uh, part of your portfolio. No less than Mark Cuban has said that he uh, he recommends up to 10% of one's portfolio in a speculative kind of fund money portfolio. Uh, same thing with Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson at Reynolds Wealth Management, they also recommend up. Up to five to 10% in a speculative portion. And to give you an example of what they're actually doing, both of them actually have about 1% of their uh, portfolios in Bitcoin, dollar cost averaging every two weeks, and they're basing a very speculative bet that, uh, they, according to them, Bitcoin is a religion, and uh, basically uh, 92% of Bitcoins are owned by the top 2%, about 20% of them are completely lost, uh, people just lost uh, the codes to access them. And so basically, a whole lot of Bitcoins are just sunk, people cannot sell, and of course the most passionate people will never sell. And so they're basically uh, thinking it'd probably go up a couple hundred thousand, a couple million. So no, they're just having fun with it. Similarly, uh, they're making bets on things like, uh, you know, Spotify, Zoom, some of the, you know, more speculative bets for uh, companies doing well in this pandemic. Uh, Basically, you know, with the uh, speculative positioning, that's where fundamentals, uh, you know, are not as nearly as important. The story is more important. Valuation kind of goes out the window. The idea is that if you want to just chase momentum and uh, the, use the Greater Fool theory, this is where a speculative portion, where it's you know one to five percent, you understand that. Uh, for example, Tesla. If you wanted to buy Tesla at four hundred, when even Elon Musk said it was overvalued, and then basically it went up several hundred percent after that. Well, as long as you understand that it's a small 1% or less position. It could go to zero. You could take a big uh, hit. The idea behind speculative is that it's, it's a safety valve, if you will, it's kind of like, please d- drink responsibly. If you have, you know, a beer, uh, you know, once a day, if that keeps you from going off the table and, become, and going on a bender, well, that's the responsible way to use speculation. And basically it's, it's kind of how I view it as a uh, lottery tickets. For example, I know that, you know when uh, Uh, powerball or benga millions goes above a billion i'll buy a single ticket it's two dollars if i win it's 400 million after tax cash option and of course i like to tell my family about how this is how we'd invest it in a phoenix strategy we'd all end up you know basically set for life through uh you know uh, living off the dividends alone. But I, of course, understand the odds are one in 302 million. And so, but basically, this helps me to stay disciplined and basically with the rest of my portfolio. And of course, I know uh, Nick and st- uh, Stephen, they want to talk about their own top, uh, how they view the responsible use of speculation for fun and profit while we can st- and ha- uh, overall helping us to achieve our long term financial goals.
0: Uh, thanks, Adam. I appreciate the, your talk there. I think it does make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I wasn't aware that Cuban and some of these other investors were kind of in, into this fund money principle, but that has been something uh, that I've kind of expressed over the years. I think if nothing more, it makes sense to have, you know, a few, you know, low single digit, you know, type of uh, percentage of your portfolio dedicated to some more speculative kind of short term picks. Uh, it keeps you on your toes, you know, at the very least. You have to track the markets, you have to track the fundamentals, you have to stay on top of things. Um, you know, if nothing more, it's just a mental exercise, and there is high upside, like you said. I, uh, I guess I will note as well. I am in your boat, I do, uh, you know, go buy a lottery ticket when it's, uh, you know, a billion dollar prize. Uh, like you said, it's just two dollars, and yeah, uh, you know, that two dollars to me is, is worth the uh, you know, the fun that I have, you know, staying up till 11 o'clock when they make the drawing, just thinking about, you know, all the all the uh, pretty things I'd buy with that money. Um, I will talk about uh, my speculation and uh, how that plays a role in my personal portfolio in just a moment. But before I do, I do want to pass it over to Stephen Hester. Like I said, he is our options expert. Stephen, I've been reading the Wall Street bets. You know, I understand that it's, uh, it seems to me like there's several kind of cohorts of investors here. They're the, the, the kind of speculators who are using uh, this free money that the government's given them. They don't have to pay rent right now. Uh, there's no trading costs. Basically, it's just free money in their point of view. And they're just buying lottery tickets themselves. There does seem to be another type of person who's almost kind of trying to stick it to the man. It's almost like an Occupy Wall Street Wall Street 2.0. In my opinion, it's uh, kind of like this weird populist movement, you know, against the, uh, the elite and the rich. And then uh, there does appear to be some institutional money that's getting involved as well, because there's no way that all these retail investors are generating the volumes that we're seeing in some of these stocks like GameStop. So I'm interested just to hear what you have to say about options. Uh, You know, maybe try to explain them in a basic way to our users. I certainly can't do that. This is, you know, I'm not a sophisticated trader. I don't use them uh, on the day to day. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say. And then also with regard to, uh, you know, how you view speculation when it comes to your own portfolio.
2: Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, What I'll start with on the topic you just brought up, is options generally are actually to mitigate or better define risk rather than uh, sort of raw speculation. Uh, but in very unusual circumstances, just like frankly, any type of investing, things can, things can go awry, um, particularly if you don't do it carefully um, or prudently. And so I'll, I'll touch on one aspect of that that I think actually is driving uh, all the key facets. And that's where you hear that the short interest is actually over a hundred percent and that's definitely confounding, right? How could short interest be above a hundred percent? You know, that makes no just sense. Just to be
0: clear, he's talking about GameStop in, in particular here.
2: That's right. Um, in, in that, that in particular, um, and this actually applies to pretty much all stocks. Um, the point I'm going to make here, but you're right. It, currently uh, GameStop is, is over hundred percent, you know, sold short. The reason is, if you think of an option, um, it's you know it's an obligation, it's a contract. What is what has occurred here is that in the normal course of business, people are selling calls uh, to get some income. And uh, in this case, you know you you have to trade your premium for the option, so a little bit of money that the person gives you for the upside on the stock. And if you own the stock, it's a pretty proven, you know actually well established. You know selling covered calls is what it's what it's called, and uh, no pun intended. But if you don't own the stock, you technically have unlimited risk. And in this case, we got pretty close to the word unlimited kind of coming to fruition. And just tomorrow about, uh, don't quote me on it, but it's around 40 million shares are tied to call options. That means that those people have to buy hundred shares and deliver them to the people that own the contracts, which is more than the float of the stock. So it, it's literally not possible. So people that are cognizant of that have absolutely panicked trying to get shares. And that, that's kind of what's driven the stock higher. and you're absolutely right. It's a mix of all kinds of different investors. And you know, frankly, it's too early to tell how this thing is gonna work out, but clearly a lot of people have, have made many tens of millions of dollars and lost uh, many, many tens of millions, and in some cases, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's very fascinating and I'll probably write a little bit of a uh, little bit of a report kind of when this settles and sort of explain the, uh, the mechanics of it. But going on to what I wanted to mention today uh, is, is hopefully a little bit more practical knowledge. And it's been a few years since I've had the pleasure of studying uh, the material eight hours a day. But I think it's the last level of the CFA level three that contains a lot of practical knowledge on behavioral finance and i promise this is connected to what we're going to talk about a key aspect of that behavioral finance is identifying the personality type of the client whether it's an institutional investor or high net worth investor or you know whatever the case is one of those people is sort of called the ceo and none of these aspects are going to surprise people tend to be kind of overconfident they have a very high risk tolerance uh etc that makes a lot of sense it's hard to be ceo if, you, if you're not pretty confident um you know and you, you're not willing to take risk nothing wrong with that what this person this particular personality type has difficult with is internalizing the difference between speculation and investing so as the financial advisor the portfolio manager whatever you're working with this person you have to pay particular attention to making sure they separate um speculation from investing uh, other personality types don't have this issue they have it to a lesser degree it's worth frankly, reflecting on kind of where you think you fit in that bucket for everyone listening to this. And if you kind of fall in that bucket, and I think most people, frankly, know if they do, um, it's really important to have a game plan and sort of create a speculation bucket, uh, so to speak. Maybe it's 1% of your portfolio. Maybe it's 10, like Adam mentioned, very high net worth. You know, 10 is probably fine. Uh, You know, that's that's up to you. And maybe you're investing kind of the professional that guides you. But I'll give you two practical examples of kind of what's the benefit of having this, like when should you use this sort of risk bucket? Let's say we're back in March and uh, and a lot of REITs are collapsing in value. You know, maybe you know industrial and triple net pretty well. Uh, Maybe you have some past experience. Maybe you read a lot of press articles on them. Who knows? Uh, But you're not quite as knowledgeable about multifamily, but you see a lot of news coverage. This this is a real example here about uh, rent deferments about um, the, cap, you know, the cap rates going way low, or in this case, very high. The stock's going way low, and you really want to buy some. The stocks look like they could double or triple from where you're looking at them. But you know deep down you're not an expert on them, and you're hesitant to sort of buy that you know, Avalon Bay or Canaan Property Trust stock in your retirement portfolio. So what you do instead is you say, all right, I still have half of my speculation bucket, and I'm going to go ahead and buy these REITs there. And this saves you from becoming emotionally attached to those investments and freaking out about them all the time. Um, And it stops you from getting overextended. uh, And what really, you know, the REIT segment in your portfolio could potentially be more safe and more stable um, relative to the rest of it. And you don't want to compromise that by buying a bunch of REITs you don't really understand. So this this kind of allows you to trust your gut. It it lets you satisfy that almost irresistible, you know, desire to, to kind of risk a little bit um, without overextending yourself. The next one is we're going to pretend to go back to March again. And you just went long your favorite stock. So, you know, everyone has that in their head. Probably what was that one that you bought a little bit of and hopefully March or April and you want to buy more, but you're going to have to either use margin or you're going to have to sell other parts of your portfolio that, you know, you should, right. You know, you need some diversification. You really shouldn't sell it and put it in more stock, uh, into that one position. Yeah, I can personally relate to that. I'm, I know Nick and Adam can too. I think we've all been there. So what do you do about this annoying situation? One of them is using options. Uh, in this case, we know options expire worthless, um, but we're going to go ahead and buy a few calls anyways, because we know this isn't going to be a core element of our investment strategy forever. This is a kind of unique opportunity, and we're going to buy a few calls. Um, it, it doesn't take much, honestly. A few hundred dollars of out-of-the-money calls can go a long ways. We know, remember, that it's probably going to expire worthless, but that's okay since we're putting this sort of in our speculation bucket, and that allows us to engage on our idea that we think this thing's going to go way higher, but without taking um, outsized risk. So it satisfies both of those, and that's a, sort of a prudent way to use an option without really taking any, any, you're not actually taking any incremental risk. But you can catch a lot of that upside without screwing up, frankly, the rest of your portfolio. So Nick, those are a couple of my ideas uh, that I had related to sort of speculation and determining when to speculate and, you know, when to be a little more risk averse.
0: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, just to highlight a couple of things that you said that I, you know, I think are really important for our listeners to notice is, you know, you, you said the word overextended. And I think that's very important. You know, we're always talking about prudent asset allocation uh you know with regard to diversification and uh whether we're just talking about buying common stock or or playing the options game i do think it is very important that uh investors you know understand their risk understand what it is that they're owning and don't become overextended you know we always uh, single stock risk is a real thing um you know when i'm reading these wall street bets forums i see these people who uh you know have had quite a bit of success like you've said They've made, you know, life-changing, even generational-changing money, Uh, you know, if the screenshots they're sharing are real, for instance, uh, you know, that's up for debate. But the fact of the matter is, and, uh, you know, but they don't, they're not talking about selling. And to me, that's so crazy, you know, like, just don't become overextended, reallocate your profits into other things and just maintain discipline. That's a very simple way uh, to kind of deal with speculation and also to stay responsible And uh, you also talked about that kind of speculative bucket. Adam did as well. And that's something that I do for myself too. Um, You know, our listeners are probably aware every week I buy uh, each of the actively managed ARK Invest ETFs. These are ETFs that focus on uh, disruptive and innovative investments, primarily in technology, but also in biotech and, uh, you know know, healthcare and just, just uh, finance a lot of other areas of the market. And I do this, you know, I hate buying ETFs because I don't like the idea of paying expense ratios. Uh, You know, as a dividend growth investor, I'm always thinking about compounding Well, So anything that kind of uh, is a fee or a tax or, uh, you know, anything like that kind of just cuts into my compounding process. It's sort of like the antithesis to what I'm trying to achieve. I hate paying expense ratios, but I just acknowledged uh, that Kathy Wood and her team are much better at uh, evaluating and making these speculative bets in this very kind of, uh, you know, cutting edge disruptive technology space than I am. Uh, I spend hours every day, uh, you know, reading, uh, you know, company management presentations and things like that, but not of, you know, these highly speculative names I'm looking at, you know, just the traditional uh, conservative dividend growth stocks. So I kind of, you know, stay in my lane for lack of a better term. I understand uh, what it is that I'm capable of achieving and I'm happy to kind of outsource Uh, you know, some funds to the expertise of a uh, Kathy Wood and ARK Invest in this instance. But it is important to note, I do have a risk cap, you know, I'm just looking to eventually build, you know, roughly two and a half percent of my portfolio into these speculative investments. Um, You know, you combine that with the Amazon, Adam talks about Amazon a lot. Uh, I've I've said that I own it, I do, I own actually a pretty hefty position. Uh, I really like the stock, but I do kind of also view that as a speculative investment, just because it doesn't, uh, fall into the rest of my portfolio's strategy, which revolves around dividend growth. So, you know, my Alphabet, my Amazon, my Facebook, my ARC, uh, at this point in time, my Disney, now that they've cut their dividend, all of these stocks kind of fall into my speculative bucket. And therefore, like you said, I don't really stress over them. I like them. I like their long-term potential. So I'm happy to own them. But I do acknowledge that, uh, you know, all of the cash that I've allocated towards those types of investments is uh, much more risky than the rest of my portfolio. And therefore, you know, I need to be aware of that. So, uh, you know, I think that is just the major point here. It's understanding risk. It's okay to speculate, Uh, as Adam said, it is fun to do. Uh, We've all kind of touched upon the fact that human nature does sort of revolve around fear and greed. And uh, I I actually really liked Adam's uh, sort of, uh, what allegory, I think, uh, with regard to having a beer every now and then so you don't go on a bender you know, if that's what you have to do, that's great. In a way that's, that is responsible thinking. And I think uh, the same kind of principle does apply to the stock market as well. So I think we're up against uh, our time limit here. I'll, I'll quickly open it up. Adam, I don't know if you have any closing statements. You haven't spoken in a while, which is uh, completely fine. I really enjoyed your presentation in the beginning, but uh, if you have anything to say, that's great. But if not, uh, I'll go ahead and just shut this one down and uh, and we'll get ready for next week.
1: Well, yeah, I just wanted to close with a wonderful quote from Morgan Housel. Uh, uh, Good investing is not necessarily about making good decisions. It's about consistently not screwing up. There are a million ways to get wealthy and plenty of books on how to do so. But there's only one way to stay wealthy, some combination of frugality, and paranoia so it's always important to focus on uh, as nick said if you make a speculative bet and you're up uh, 50 100 percent especially on lower quality companies for the love of god take some profits off the table because remember the fundamentals are not justified and the goal that we're trying to teach people is not just how to get rich quickly but more importantly how to stay rich for the long term
0: uh thanks adam yeah i need i need to write down that
1: quote and uh you know
0: tell it to my wife when uh, she gets on me about being frugal and paranoid when it comes to our finances. Apparently it is prudent uh, to to do so. Stephen, were you going to say something?
2: (laughs) No, I just said, I couldn't say it better myself. And I think you both gave some very keen advice uh, in that last closing section.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks guys. That's going to be this week's podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, Like I said we are kind of straying a little bit from the dividend growth here, but uh, you know, with this week's financial headlines, I do think that's important to do. I know a lot of our Dividend Kings members have been following along with this game side up with the Wall Street Bets uh, crowd. It is sort of spilling over a little bit into the rest of the market with names like Tanger and uh, Maserich, and um, you know, just uh, I think AMC is something I've seen in the Dividend Kings chat room as well. So you know, we did want to cover it. We did want to you know provide some clarity, provide some. Uh, Uh, some thoughts on the matter Uh, eventually we will get back you know to our kind of bread and butter in the dividend space but uh you know it is kind of fun uh to kind of speculate a little bit and talk about these outside topics so thanks for uh sticking with us this week uh stay safe out there and uh, until next week we wish you guys all the best thank you